I'm amazed after eating some of that uh, different kind of food last week that we're we're still back here next uh, as of the next time. <laughs> Thank you guys for bearing with us there. That horse radish and stuff, you guys did fine, right? No problem. <laughs> Nobody went to the hospital. Nothing, nothing there that you're allergic to or anything, right? Yeah. Uh, have one right over here, right? Yep. There we go. Well, it's a privilege. It really is. It's a privilege to be here. So thank you guys very much for uh, letting us share this time of, uh, we think of uh, Easter, Resurrection Day, and like you say, we have uh, Hosanna Day, Palm Sunday next week, and you said Hosanna, and um, that makes me think of the word Hoshana, which actually means save us. Save us now, as it's saying Hosanna. So when, when, you, when you hear that word, that's, that's what it's dealing with. And uh, anyway, what we're going to kind of look at tonight is we're going to continue on with uh, where we left off, which was we didn't quite make it to the meal yet, <laughs> but, uh, but we got through the plates and we were doing that uh, second cup, but we didn't drink the second cup. So you have a second cup, you have a third cup, and you have a fourth cup. If we would have filled these totally, uh, we would probably be drowning, you know, in all, <laughs> all these different cups. Uh, anyway, uh, Passover is quite a, um, how can you say, very symbolic event. And it's really about Christ. Christ is the focus. He's the central uh, tension here. And He always is, isn't He? Anytime you guys meet together, it's really all about Christ and Him being glorified and exalted. And uh, this Passover feast really, uh, I think, puts that forth in a, in a huge way. And, of course, Paul said that uh, Jesus was the Passover. Uh, he's the fulfillment of it all. But it's in- interesting to see all the little intricate details that are involved in this whole Passover. And, of course, it goes back to Exodus 12 when the children of Israel were in bondage and uh, they were set free. And then, of course, God then uh, not only delivered them, but uh, He took care of them. And uh, what a great God uh, He is in doing that. But in uh, some of these symbols, we have the candles, and of course we think that uh, that is the light. And uh, we have to think of John eight twelve, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And so that gives us uh, some illumination on, on His Word as we think about light. And then we uh, talk about the cups here. And uh, one cup was the cup of sanctification, which set everything apart as we started uh, last week with that. Then there's the cup of plagues, which is the one that we were dealing with. Then there's the cup of redemption, which is my favorite cup. And, of course, that's going to lead into where we're really geared at tonight. This is the the highlight of it all. Um, Then there's a fourth cup, and we'll explain that. It's a cup of praise. Uh, There actually is a cup for Elijah even. So that would be the fifth cup as we wait for Elijah to come in here. Wouldn't it be exciting if Elijah just showed up tonight and we just go and be with the Lord? (laughs) Anyway, we uh, we had the the symbolism of uh, washing. They would wash their hands as they were being set apart for this. And that was a cleansing. And of course, Christ started that whole Passover off in John 13 where He washed their feet. And he showed that he was serving them 
quite uh, the uh, humility act that he did. Our Savior and Lord, King of the universe, and there he is, uh, kind of like on his hands and knees, washing their feet. An incredible thing. And of course, he says the same thing to all of us, that we are to be serving. Then we had plates last week. We won't have to worry about all that weird-looking stuff tonight. <laughs> we had the parsley, as you remember. And, of course, we took that and we put it into the cup that was uh, salt water. Of course, the parsley represents all the green. And can you, um, can you agree with me? There's been a lot of green come out this week, even more than last week. And, and uh, of course, that means new life. We have new life. Every year it comes around. And, and uh, I think, to me, it's saying... Uh, there's a Creator God, and He gives new life not only to the earth, but even something better for our souls. And we know that if we've been born again, we have that new life, and it's guaranteed for eternity. And uh, that uh, that excites me. So you have that parsley, and then you have the bitter herbs, which is pretty bitter. Uh, it was... Uh, it was a horseradish, and uh, it would go up through your brains <laughs> and wake you up. <laughs> we, we do that to keep everybody awake. I think that's what the deal was, you know. But um, we have a we had a bitter taste there, and it should remind us of a bitter life. Uh, before we knew Christ, our lives really, even though we might have enjoyed some things of life that it had to offer, we come to find out that that was really a bitter taste. Because we uh, we had no victory there, we had no hope uh, without Christ. And uh, of course, the salt water, as we would have the parsley dip in, the salt water is dealing with the tears, the suffering, all the pain that uh, the children of Israel went through. Uh, we know too that we uh, deal with a life that is full of pain. There's sorrow, there's grief, but yet we always have that hope. And it's nice to be a Christian looking at this. As we celebrate a Passover, knowing the fulfillment of it. Now, when Jewish people do it, they do it as a thing that they just do every year, but there's really no fulfillment to it. I mean, they look for the Messiah to come, but if He hasn't come in their hearts yet, um, they really have no forgiveness of sins, do they? And we do. And we uh, sit here in comfort and joy, just rejoicing in the fact that uh, we know the Lord and uh, we know what His His plan is. So we had something very a lot more sweeter than that horseradish, and it covered that. And of course, that is dealing with the uh, the the sweetened life, and Christ is uh, the sweetness to that that adds to that. It, it also represented the brick and the mortar. I didn't say that last week, but. They, as they built, uh, whether it be the pyramids or these cities and all the buildings that they were doing, and as they were in slavery, they would have to make this mortar, and uh, for the for the bricks to be able to be put together. And so that reminded them of that, and that was a painful thing. But yet, it was sweet in the fact that it took away some of that uh, that horseradish away. And then we talked about the reclining. They would recline. Uh, versus the very first Passover, they didn't. It was like they were ready. They had to be ready to go at any moment. Uh, that is a picture of a Christian today. Uh, we're waiting for Christ to come back at any moment. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, any time. <laughs> come quickly, Lord Jesus. He has His timing perfect. But yet we are to pray that He would also come quickly. And... and uh, we, we still wait, but uh, we know that we can do that in, in comfort and joy again, uh, knowing that uh, what He's going to do is, is good. 
And then we went through the plagues, the ten plagues, and we dipped our finger in there and then took it out, took a little bit of the joy out because of the judgment that had to be put upon the nation of Egypt. And uh, it showed that God had victory over these gods. Shane was pointing that out. That's an incredible thing uh, that God was doing these plagues and all along there's still so much depth that's behind it. He was showing that He had victory over all their gods as He went through each of those plagues. And as a warning to them, He's crying out to say, hey, I am the God in charge of this. And uh, it reminds us of a call for repentance and uh, that people would be sorrowful for their sin and, and turn to... Uh, the very Word of the Lord and His promises and truth. Those are just a few symbols. It's just constantly in there. They're types of Christ. Typology, right? Types of Christ. And I think uh, we have a brother back here that was doing the book of Ruth. You get a lot of typology there in the book of Ruth, don't you? And the redemption and such. Exactly. The kinsman redeemer. goes right along with this whole story here, doesn't it? The whole story of redemption. God puts it in pictures. He puts it in real uh, elements that people can understand. And of course, when Jesus was here, how did He teach? He would use just nature, you know, whatever a tree or whatever, to show the depths of who He is. And in this Passover, that's really what it was. It was just like building blocks, types, pictures of who He is, and we, we can get a handle on things like that. Spiritual truths that are way above our heads and yet He gets on our level and shows us what these mean. And then you go, oh wow, that's, that's incredible. And so it goes on and on. Now we, um, we start talking about the Passover lamb now as we uh, go into what the meal would be. We don't have our lamb out there and the rest of the goodies that go with it, borscht and the other things like that. What is borscht, Carolyn? What, what was that? Beets. So we have a beet soup, right? And, and some of you might like that. So I don't want to offend you. But I'm not so sure if I liked it. But it was a bunch of weird stuff that we ate the first time we did that. And they, they got real kosher about it. They studied up on it and just to have some fun with it. And that's all we had was, was Jewish food like that. And when you're eating something strange that you've never eaten before, and you go, oh yeah, I don't know about this. Yeah. Anyway, you don't have to suffer through all that. Some of it was really good, though. And, uh, but the Passover lamb is kind of the central focus of this because we know the Passover lamb represents the Messiah who was to come. Um, you take it back to 1,500 years before that, time of Moses, and then uh, to the time of Christ. We, we know that Christ is that Passover lamb. Um, in Exodus 12, verse 13, says the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. There's the idea of the Passover. The Israelites were given a promise. All they have to do is take the lamb, put the the blood over the doorpost and such. And if they put that there, then they will be guaranteed that God will... um, pass over them, will not bring judgment on them. Uh, he didn't give the same kind of promise to the Egyptians and every one of them lost their firstborn. So that Exodus 12 uh, really shows a picture again of how um, God is going to ultimately bring that lamb into, uh, 
into its fulfillment. Um, there was a rabbi by the name of Gamaliel, and uh, you would probably uh, go back to the time of the very early church or during the time of Christ. He was a teacher of Saul, or later known as Paul. Rabbi Saul, and he was under this particular uh, rabbi himself, Gamaliel. And he taught in teaching the Passover, there were three things that had to be mentioned. You cannot miss these. These are the main outlines of this teaching. One of them is the unleavened bread. We talked about that last week. And... uh, This is what they would have for the Passover. You have it broken in different pieces around where you're at there. And we know the fulfillment of it is uh, we we can look at it and say, oh, this is interesting. Stripes are here. There are piercings here. And there is no leaven in it. A great picture of Christ. And in my little bag up here is three compartments and uh, they didn't really know what that was, but it was a tri-unity of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, possibly. Um, they would have disagreements on what that possibly could be, but that was one. But we as Christians can say, oh, well, that's easy. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so we have the answer. Now, that was unleavened bread, that bitter herbs was also a necessity that they would have to bring out in the teaching and the Passover lamb. I'll tell you what, we'll get us all involved in here. Everybody's supposed to read this part. I don't have the uh, little notes for everybody out there, but what we'll do is I'll say a line and then you guys say it with me here. This first one was, We have eaten the matzah to remind us of the haste. We have eaten the matzah to remind us of the haste with which the children of Israel fled Egypt. With which the children of Israel fled Egypt. We have tasted the bitter herbs. We have tasted the bitter herbs to remind us of the bitter slavery they experienced there. So the matzah and the bitter herbs. And so we have the haste. Be ready. Be ready to move at any time. We are um, like the bride, the bride of Christ, and we're waiting for any time to be ready, right? The bitter herbs, bitter slavery. Now, what they would come up with now after that we've started to do something with that uh, second cup, the lamb was to be brought forth in His teaching. And we know what that lamb means as far as the blood is concerned. The blood would mark the houses of the children of Israel. That's the blood of the lamb. John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And that blood takes part of this uh, the covenant that He makes with us. So they obeyed this command, everybody obeyed. This was serious. And they all obeyed. They all did. I don't hear one time where there was one family that didn't obey and they lost their firstborn. Have you ever read of that in Exodus? I haven't either. So evidently, they all obeyed. Now, I'm going to have a little bit of this story. 
I think I was going to have it read. And I've got it together here today. I think I lost my little sheets. Aha. Got it right here. Okay, not too bad. This is a little bit of the story. Now I have two readers. And do I have a reader over there? Right there. Would you like to read one? the instructions of what they were supposed to do. Now, take note, it's on the 10th day of the month and then the 14th day. Keep that in mind and we'll start with reader one. On the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a land for his family, one for each household. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defects. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them to white then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they, where they eat the lentils. Exodus 12, 3, 5, That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. This is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked under your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Exodus 12. Yeah, that's 8, 11, 13. I tore that off. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Mighty powerful passage here. They have to choose a lamb. It has to be on the 10th day when they do that. Now you have, you have Palm Sunday coming up. And there are discrepancies. And then you have, uh, as far as the timing is concerned, even when Christ died, there's still people in the church, you know, going to, was it Thursday? Was it Friday that he died? You know, and we, we think a good Friday. And then some people say it was um, Sunday, Palm Sunday. And I tend to believe that. But it, it could have been uh, because of the time. It, we don't have the exact calendar that they had there. Um, the scripture's not wrong. It's just a matter of trying to put this together exactly what day of the week it was. Um, I think we pretty well know. Uh, we know that he rose on the first day of the week. We don't have any problem with that. And I think uh, I, I go with the tradition that he died on Friday. But some say that doesn't that doesn't uh, match. It doesn't make out with the numbers. He had to die on Thursday. Um, at any rate, the lamb was picked out on the tenth. On the fourteenth, he was to die. Um, Jesus is the lamb. And it's very possible that he came riding into the city on that Palm Sunday. And and remember, their days start on the opposite end uh, where you have, like, this is the starting of a day right here, like at 6 o'clock. You know, it's, and, and, and so, therefore, it's kind of backwards to us. But at any rate that he presented himself. And of course, he is the king, and some um, many people are recognizing that he's something special. Um, he's a king, but 
Of course, they wanted him to be what they wanted him to be rather than the king that was going to be of a different kingdom. <laughs> and so the Passover lamb it was chosen out, and that's Christ. And then, of course, on the 14th, uh, he dies. Um, another thing about this is that he, uh, the little lamb that they pick out, that lamb would reside in the household with the kids, and he'd become like a pet for those days. And they'd begin to begin to know that little lamb. You know, he was, he was part of them. One-year-old lamb without defect. Perfect in, in, in that sense. And of course, we, we know that Christ was perfect without any sin. And so they would have to slaughter that lamb. You can imagine. They recognized... Um, whenever they would bring a a lamb up to the priest to kill that, uh, they would be identifying with the lamb as as if their sin is being transferred to the lamb and the lamb takes their spot and takes their sin and then his throat is cut and then the blood is put forth. And so this was uh, the first Passover. Of course... um, God has used that in um, illustrations before, and you know you can go way back to Genesis, uh, right in the early chapters when where there was sin, uh, there was probably a lamb that had to be killed even then, or some animal, and because the blood is shed, and that sets forth a, a story all the way through Scripture. But when the law comes, then He shows that there has to be continual sacrifices. Animal sacrifices, the oxen and the sheep and so on and so forth, on a constant basis, every day. And the people are identifying with that, uh, that lamb, for instance, uh, or sin. So they take the blood, they apply the blood, uh, they eat the, the meat then also as they're part of it, and uh, they're ready to go. The blood was quite a sign. So we're reminded by Moses that it was the Lord Himself who redeemed the children of Israel. It was God, the great God that we know of, who is the one who brought them out and did that. Had it not been for His effort and for Him starting all of this, they would never have gotten out of this slavery. So it says in Deuteronomy, in the law, later on, or uh, as, as the children of Israel had gone into the wilderness and they were given the law and then Deuteronomy was written uh, by Moses. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with great terror and with miraculous signs and wonders. They hadn't seen anything like this before, had they? They're knowing now who this God is. And uh, Moses writes, a mighty hand, an outstretched arm. There's fear and there's terror. You know, He is a God who judges, but look at the signs and wonders that He gave them. And He's, ex- he's really showing who He is. He's revealing Himself. And all through the Old Testament, it just builds and builds and builds upon the greatness of God. And we see Him through His names. We see Him through His actions. Um, this is, this is God. And, and these people didn't know Him before. And that's His people, but they didn't know. They knew something about Him, but not very much. Now, what we have is 
You guys will need to respond back. I'll say something and then you come back and I'll tell you what it's supposed to be. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt. You say this, I am not an angel. I am not an angel. And strike down every firstborn, both men and animals. Now this time it's I am not a seraph. I am not a seraph. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. This time it is I and not a messenger. I am not a messenger. I am the Lord. And then you guys say, I myself and none other. I myself and none other. It's all God. There weren't any angels, seraphs, messengers that did this. He did it. And only He could do it. They couldn't claim that they did it. And that's our deliverer. He gets all the credit, all the glory. So there's another typology right there. And He makes it clear that they know that He is the one and what a mighty God He is. Now, one thing I've always wanted to ask a Jewish person, and unfortunately I don't get to run into too many. There are a few that I have met. But I'd love to sit down and just talk with them if they knew about the Old Testament and just talk Old Testament with them. And my biggest question would be, so how do you get your sins forgiven? Isn't that one of the most important things anybody can ask? How can I get them forgiven? You remember they they used to have a tabernacle and then later on they had the temple. When they had the temple, they had the sacrifices. When they bring the sacrifices, then that was a picture of having their sins forgiven. They really didn't get their sins forgiven because of that one act, that ritual act of the sacrifice, but it's pointing to the cross, which is where everybody gets their sins forgiven. Old Testament, New Testament. They look forward to it. We look back at it. It's only the cross that saves. But they had a picture of what it was until it actually happened. Well... They don't have that today because their temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. They have no tabernacles. They are trying to get a spot uh, back on the Temple Mount, but they're not having too much success there because of uh, the, uh, I guess you could say, their enemies who have access to that and they will not let them build uh, a temple up there. They have a cornerstone. It's all ready to be put in place. They have priests and they have priest outfits, but until they get the temple, uh, they, can't even do their, they can't do their sacrifices. They have to have that. That's what they're required of, as they think of. So Jerusalem, as far as its temple, uh, really is not offered to them. So the lamb today is not eaten at Passover. Isn't that interesting? They ate it for 1,500 years or so, and then they had stopped because of 70 A.D. The temple was done. Uh, so, kind of interesting. Um, they prepare it, but they don't eat uh, Yeah, they'd have like a shank bone and all that, but it was, uh, from what I understand, uh, they uh, it's not eaten at the Passover because they knew that that lamb was there, but they can't sacrifice it. Yeah, very good point. No sacrifice, no redemption. That's sad. But that's where a Christian can come in and say, hey, do you want to know the fulfillment of that? Do you want to know how you can get your sins forgiven? Because that was important to the Jewish person. Ah, Here's uh, another reading where we all get involved here. I'll just say a line and you repeat. 
We who have trusted Yeshua the Messiah believe He is the Lamb of God, our Passover. Like the ancient Israelites, we know that it was God Himself. And not an angel. God Himself and not a seraph. God Himself and not a messenger. Who achieved final redemption from sin and death. God Himself through Yeshua who takes away the sin of the world. We are proclaiming Jesus Christ. Isn't that the best, absolute best thing that Christians can do? I can't think of a better place to be than with God's people on a Sunday worshiping God talking about Jesus Christ. It is, it is a, a real joy just to be among His people. Now, there's one other thing before there is that Passover supper, and it's called Dayanib. And that in Hebrew means it would have been sufficient. It would have been sufficient. This is out of Psalm 145.7. They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. That's what we love to do. Sing, talk about the righteousness of God, how great God is, how good God is. Well, they come to this Dayanu part and they realize that God is a God of mercy. We think of mercy and love and grace. It's all about God there. We um, are totally relying on Him on everything and because he was so merciful and so kind that's that's the kind of God that they were beginning to know that he was not a God there to jump all over them but he was there to show his goodness and mercy and so they would uh, declare Dianu and that means it would have been sufficient now I'll say a line and then you guys say Dianu are you ready? okay Dayanu. D-A-Y-E-N-U in our English. Dayanu. D-A-Y-E-N-U. It would have been sufficient. It would have been enough. And here's what we're going to say. If the Lord had merely rescued us, just rescued us, and had not judged the Egyptians, if He had only destroyed their gods, but have not departed the Red Sea, if He had only drowned our enemies, but had not fed us with manna, if He had only led us through the desert, but had not given us the Sabbath, if He had only given us the Torah, but not the land of Israel, and that's the way that we think. You know, He could have just saved us from our sin, forgiven us, and that would have been it. And you know what? Sufficient. I mean, that's that's great. But no, in His grace, He not only saves us, He, he justifies us. He sanctifies us. 
Matter of fact, He sanctifies us all the way to the time that He comes back and He's going to make the church perfect. He adopted us into His family. We are part of that building, put into His family, and we have the inheritance that His Son has. We are co-inheritors with her, with Him. And so when you think about all of this that's happened, you know, it's not just being forgiven, but it's all the other stuff. For eternity, we get to be with our great God. Incredible. What's that? Absolutely. We're part of it. And He lets us in on it. He, you know, it would have been something if He'd given us His Word, but we wouldn't be able to know the things that are to come. You know, it would have been something if it all just been past events and things about Him, like the Old Testament. But He gives us the New Testament, and then He even tells what's going to happen right on into the future, even to the things in you know eternity, um, in the eternal state. You think of that. Amazing. The Holy One, the Blessed One, He provided all the blessings there for uh, His people. And so many more. And so there's a blessing that is given before the Passover Supper. And it goes, Blessed are You, O God, for You have in mercy supplied all our needs. You have given us, Messiah, forgiveness for sin, life abundant, and life everlasting. Hallelujah. So now, after all of this, we can now drink that cup. And that's the second cup. The second cup. This is what we had. That was one a week. It took us a week to, to finally come out. That's right. That was taking out a little bit of the joy. And now as we uh, realize what God has done, uh, we, we partake of that. And we're supposed to sing Dayanu, but unfortunately, I don't know how Dayanu goes. <laughs> we could make it up, sing some little uh, Jewish ditty or something, right? <laughs> anyway, what we're doing now is we're keeping the feast of the Lord by uh, partaking in this supper. So you can see how long this thing could go on. It could go a whole evening. So we divided it up into a couple of parts. And um, it says in Exodus 12:14, Ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord. And uh, so then they would have, have their meal. And now we're getting ready for the best part of the meal. Everybody knows when you, when you eat a meal that there's still something that um, you need. You need a little bit of dessert, right? If you're going to top this off with the perfect meal, you've got to have that. And, and that's where we're getting to. And that's, this is where the church comes in now. And uh, i got to finish this off. Is that okay? You know what? This stuff could stain. I've used this little book up here down through the years. And it has these interesting little food stains and grape juice on it. <laughs> Okay, you remember this? It had the three compartments. And, of course, I had taken one out and I had taken another out. And um, there's one in the first one, there's one in the third one, but in the middle compartment, there is none there because 
last week your pastor took that and hid it and folded it. That was like burying, uh, and that was that was the piece that was broken, that bread of affliction, and it was wrapped up in linen, white linen, and then put away. Well, we know what that is, don't we? We know that's Jesus Christ. And we know on the third day he arose again. That's part of the gospel. That's an incredible part of the gospel. You know, we have something to proclaim here. So we call this the Aphicomen, and it's something about uh, he who comes later. Um, the Aphicomen, uh, ah, here it is right here. Ha! Okay, it's wrapped up. Now, what we do is we see this Aphicomen and we start thinking of our communion or Lord's Supper that we're all so familiar with. And like I say, if you haven't done this before, your Lord's Supper will never be the same again. I say that out of experience because I, I mention it so much whenever we, we do Lord's Supper. Uh, almost every time I, I have to mention a little bit of the Passover and this is where we come in at the church knows very little about this unless they've been taught what the Jews were doing it's not necessarily in scripture the way that we've had it laid out but it is in scripture it's there it just doesn't tell when that was happening but you look in the gospels and say okay yeah yeah it is there I see it now We've just happened gone through from the very beginning to the end. The only thing is that the Jewish people go through that. They do this, but they don't know it's the Lord's Supper. So it's a it's a great thing to know. It's it's a best part of this whole thing. It's the final food that's eaten at the Passover. Now you've eaten your meal, stretched back, feeling comfortable, and it's sure it's it's shared as just the Passover lamb would have been shared. Uh, from the time of the Exodus till the destruction of the temple. And it's, it is also s- said that the Apocomen should linger in our mouths. And such a good taste to it. Not that we have sugar on it, but uh, it's sweet when we know what it uh, really means. Messiah, Jesus, I say Messiah because that's what uh, Jewish people would be thinking of. He is the uh, anointed one. The one is to come and we know He has come. Um, He right there would have taken that matzah, that piece that He would have brought back up representing what He's going to be doing three days later or so. And He's going to say some things that they haven't heard before. He's going to go off the um, text (laughs) and He's going to show that He is this. This represents Him. And uh, the blessing is Baruch Atah Adonai Eliyahu Melech Alam Hamatzi Lechem Min Haretz He would have said something like that. Uh, He would have said those words. It would have been... uh, not quite as chopped up as what I just did, but we don't know the difference, do we? Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, ruler of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. Let's get that down. It's blessed are you, O Lord, our God. Okay? And then then the next one is ruler of the universe. 
Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, ruler of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. Who brings forth bread from the earth. This peace is like saying it was brought up out of death. You have to have a kernel of wheat, and the kernel of wheat has to die in that it's buried into the ground And then what happens? It comes up and you get the bread out of that. He is the bread of life, as He said in John 6. And then we see here that as He did it with them, um, He, like in Luke 22.19, it says, "This, This afikoman is My body for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. As often as you do this, You do it remembering Me. And so that is the place where we are so familiar with. And this is where it's at in the Passover. And He does it exactly what they've always done, only this time He says, this is Me, guys. This is representing Me. It's a picture uh, about Me. I am this bread. So what we want to do is take a piece of that masa there, He broke it. It's representing his broken body. Of course, he didn't. No bones were broken, but in the sense of this, uh, this affliction and such, that's the way it's put forth. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And let's just let it linger in our mouths. The blessing that he said. Remember, it? he said, and he he said a blessing. You you remember that in scripture? He said a blessing, and they did that. That blessing is this: Blessed are you, O God. Ruler of the universe who brings forth bread from the earth. Are you getting it? Does this make sense? This is the Lord's Supper. This is what He told them to keep on doing. And 2,000 years later, the church is still doing it. So we remember what He did in that. And uh, so in that setting, it's just, it's just wonderful. Well, what comes after eating the bread? It's the cup. And it's the cup of redemption. It's our third cup. And this is the covenant that he makes with them. Uh, I also like the story of the Jewish wedding supper because, um, actually, the whole wedding. Jesus had made a statement that um, that he will go to prepare a place for us, and you know we know that he is building on to the. I guess you could say the palace, the mansions, or the house, the place that he's preparing. And nobody knows, and not even the son would know. Um, The father would not let the son who had proposed to uh, who's going to be his bride, uh, the father's not going to let that son 
just build up some little quick shack real quick in a couple of days. And he's going to make sure this thing is done, it's done right. And uh, most often, it would be added on to the family household. And so they would live in that house connected with that as they build onto it. That would happen a lot. But before that, um, this young gentleman would go to uh, this young lady's house and there would be the wine poured in front of them and then he'd have the cup and then he would go up to her and this was his proposal. We bring it over to her and now that was like saying, I want to marry you. Now she had a choice. She could either take that and drink it or not. If she doesn't drink it, that means she's not willing to say yes. And so now I'm taking that cup back, but we'll say that she says yes. Well, that means that he is now going to go to prepare that place for her. And he doesn't know when it's going to be done. And Jesus had even stated that, that he didn't know at that time in his humanness when that would be when he had come back. But when he had come back, there would be a shout when somebody would see him. It would be most often at night time. It might be around midnight. She was to be ready at any, any moment. And because if that would be, she doesn't know when this is going to be, but whenever it is, she wants to be ready. And you can think of the, um, the story, in, 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 uh, I think it's in Matthew 25, where you have uh, the, uh, the foolish ones and the ones that are prepared uh, these virgins and ready, but um, here it is. Whenever he would come there, then he would take her uh, with him, and the whole wedding party would go, and they would start that whole uh, wedding. And uh, that would be a joyous time that would last for a week or longer, if you like. The cup of redemption. The third cup. It symbolizes the blood of the Passover lamb. And it was the cup right after the supper. And that's how Messiah, or Jesus, identified who He was. As He said. Let's all say this together. I will, re- I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. Isaiah tells us, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. What is short is our own righteousness. And it falls short every time. The great high standard of God. The Lord searched. He couldn't find anyone to intercede. So His own arm worked salvation for Him and His own righteousness sustained Him. Out of Isaiah 59. Jesus lifted the cup saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood which is poured out for you. Just as the blood of the Lamb brought salvation in Egypt for those people that delivered them, Jesus' death that was atoning brings salvation to His own chosen people, the ones who believe. And so whenever He took that cup, He uh, told them that this cup is the cup of uh, that covenant he's making. This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. He would say a blessing and we'll all say that blessing together. 
Blessed are you, O Lord our God. Blessed are you, O Lord our God. Ruler of the universe. Who creates the fruit of the vine. Let us gratefully drink. Earlier he was there, and from what we can gather in the gospel stories, he left out some time between the starting of it or when Jesus said, What you do, you do quickly, right? You do your thing. He was not present as far as what I have seen during this part of the Passover. He during the bread part? Yeah, the bread and and the wine, which is now which was really the first Lord's Supper, and that's significant because he had his true ones right there with him. Right, and so and of course God already had it planned out in the sense of you know He knew what what this was going to be. I mean, how this works out is uh, um, very significant, and uh, there He did His thing. As, as they're taking the, the Lord's Supper, they're, we're having the great betrayal on the other side. Yeah, glad you pointed that out. Well, that is symbolic of the hardening of the heart again. Yeah. Like we discussed with That's tough stuff. <laughs> really hard stuff. Yeah. But it's true. Yeah. Well, what about... What about this one? Now, this one I call the cup of Elijah. He comes into play here somehow. Because they look for Elijah to come back. The the Elijah of the Old Testament. And so the the cup is always set at their table, even to this day. And I'm not so sure when Passover is. I know it really coincides with our resurrection time. I don't know exactly when it is this year. Does anybody know? But anyway, they will do this. They will have that cup for Elijah. And it's just like us. We, we look for Christ to come back. Well, they look for an Elijah, which meant the sign of the, the time of the, of the end. And this is a good thing. So, um, uh, one of the children would go open the door to welcome Elijah to their Seder if he was there. You know, they'd have the kids, you know, be involved in all this. Because in Malachi 4 or 5 it says, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. I will, I will send him. Well, Elijah really didn't see death, did he? How did he go on to be with the Lord? There you go. What a way to go, right? I think it's significant uh, in that right there we get a good picture of what the rapture is going to be. I tell you a mystery. There will be some who will not die physically. They'll just, boom, they'll be right into their glorified body. Wouldn't that be the greatest? We wouldn't even have to bother with all the the funeral stuff. We just were were there with him. (laughs) The family, at least. (laughs) So he went there in the the whirlwind, the chariot of fire. Uh, It's been our hope that... uh, Elijah would uh, come at uh, Passover right this year to announce that Christ has come back a second time. Now, they didn't see him the first time. That would be a first. Uh, yes. There's a lot of deception now going on uh, because of 2012. 
Ah. You know, and it might be a good little footnote to be mindful of the fact that Jesus, you know, you know where I'm going. Say it. Yeah, Jesus didn't even know, of course, you know, God's plan. And so we need to be very uh, discerning and wise. The books we're reading, the articles, the people that are on the TV uh, doing all that stuff. And it's also a good opportunity to speak for the truth. For you'll, you'll have time with friends and neighbors and work partners that are talking about this. And everybody seems to be talking about 2012. You know. Fascinating. Yeah, I mean, it's just a, it's just a, to be wise. You know. Just tell them that the Aztecs are so smart, how can I not stay here? <laughs> <laughs> but even some other people that I kind of like, their material are getting a little too. Oh, really? They're bringing up a lot of that. Well, you know what? The Herald Camping, who has put it out for 2011 sometime in May. I don't know if any of you guys have heard of that one. I'll tell you what. Jesus will not be coming back that day. <laughs> you know, as long as they keep setting these dates and these particular days they come back, it just delays His coming. You know, <laughs> It's like, come on, guys, stop it, right? I covered this whole deal on the History Channel, and they gave all kinds of explanation scientifically you know about the old about the blood and the chemicals but they never explained why it only happened to you know the Egyptians and the Pharaohs you know they never said anything they never talked about anything like that they didn't say you know why why this could have happened and that makes perfect sense that it would have happened because once all these frogs died and they would have let this gas out you know The whole truth. Yes. Nineteenth. Thank you. Today is the tenth, so it's uh, a little over a week. Uh, I guess like Tuesday or something a week, and that is the week that goes into Easter. Then, right? It usually is right around that time. So they'll be doing these things. They'll be doing these. Uh, in Luke one seventeen, before the birth of John the Baptist, an angel of the Lord said, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. This is John the Baptist's prophecy. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Later, Jesus spoke of uh, John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who is to come. Out of Matthew 11. And in John one twenty nine, John the Baptist picked up on it. He says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist prepared that way. He comes in the spirit of Elijah. But the second coming, we tend to think that there, there could be a prophet Elijah coming back. Some people talk about the two witnesses. Don't want to get into prophecy. We don't have the time to deal with all that. But some say it could be Moses and Elijah representing the law and the prophets. Anyway... Whatever it's worth. There's one cup left. We have one more cup left. By the way, nobody drinks that uh, Elijah cup until Elijah comes because that's for him. So, we'll just have to keep that waiting here, Shane. I don't know what could happen with that. Maybe you better not. Somebody might get tempted after, I don't know, months. Uh, I think they would have a whole place setting for him. 
sit down and eat with us, right? <laughs> Can you imagine sitting down? There's Elijah. <laughs> Well, and we will probably we could get into all sorts of trouble with that because you could get into almost a reincarnation belief because that's what a lot of them teach. They say, "Aha! Well, you believe in uh, reincarnation because there was uh, Elijah who then later turned into John the Baptist." But he came in the spirit of him. He dressed the way that he did. He proclaimed the word of God very strongly, um, very uh, clear, very concise. Um, and we know that he, um, we think of the, the Nazarite vow and such, you know, John the Baptist had, and what he, you know, the locust and the honey. It was something like that in the way that he dressed, uh, you know, in a rough exterior. But he was a troubler, like Elijah, against. Uh, the Jewish people, John the Baptist was, you know, they, they disdained him. And, you know, Elijah was called the troubler of, of Israel. Right. And so uh, he represented that too. So, I mean, you can see where they get deceived, you know, in that. Prophets uh, were not too well liked by the rest of the people, were they? They proclaimed God's truth. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they they get their own prophets to tell them what they wanted to hear. Yeah, and isn't uh, that the way it is going today? People will get preachers and teachers to say what they want to hear for the tickling. Yeah. Oh, I was in on time. I everywhere. Be careful, right? <laughs> yeah. Hallel, the Hallel, the Hallelujah. You know, you can say hallelujah and you, you can put that in any language of the world. That's, uh, that's one word that is universal. Um, the hallel would be something that they would uh, sing as they were done. We're just about done. There's one other thing, though. This cup of praise. where We have a uh, fourth cup, right? Uh, in Exodus 6-7 it says, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. On this Hallel, uh, and and as they went out singing, I have to think that, and uh, they would also read and uh, quote, like from Psalm one thirteen through one seventeen, I believe that was all part of the Passover. God is our great Redeemer. Now, this is real easy. You'll know this because I'm sure you've done it before somewhere. It's out of Psalm one thirty six, and. The phrase that you have to learn, this is hard. Are you ready? His love endures forever. Or we could say mercy. Which which do you like? You like both? Okay, whatever you want to do is say it. And <laughs> we'll get a mixture. Huh? Are you ready? We have a few lines to go. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. Give thanks to the God of God. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords. To Him who alone does great wonders. Who by His understanding made the heavens. Who spread out the earth upon the waters. Who made the great lights. 
The sun to govern the day. The moon and stars to govern the night. To Him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them with a mighty hand and outstretched arm to Him who divided the Red Sea asunder and brought Israel through the midst of it but swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea to Him who led His people through the desert Give thanks to the God of heaven. Lift up your cup. Let's bless the name of the Lord. And again, repeat after me. Blessed are you, O Lord our God. Ruler of the universe. Who creates the fruit of the vine. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He was the first fruit. What does that make us? The fruit that is to come later as He blessed it. We are part of that vine. I am the vine, you are the branches. And uh, this Seder that we have just done is now complete just as our redemption is complete. It is finished, Jesus said on the cross. And so we uh, conclude with that wish that they always have when they'd celebrate the, the Passover and they would say, next year in Jerusalem. <laughs> That's looking forward to that. Um, the blessing on that. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, come. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, You are a great God. And what a story You have given us. It is incredible. It's the story of the ages. Thank You for including us in a part of this tremendous story. As we are the actors, we are broken actors on a broken stage. And You will come back and complete it. And we will be glorified. And we'll see Jesus as He is. In the meantime, we continue to proclaim this great good news of the gospel of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for this story. May it ever change our lives now as we remember what the Last Supper was really all about. And uh, Lord, it's your story. It's not anything that anybody came up with human-wise, but it's all yours. And you did this great deliverance as you have done in our lives And all we can do is just say, thank you. Your love endures forever. In your Son's name, amen. Amen. That concludes it. Did you have any questions? Shane, thank you. Let us be a part of this. It is his story. If the word history, history, you'll get revelations where it says uh, that what was what is, and what's going to be. And He knows it all. Uh, He just sees it all at once. It's it's no uh, uh, past, present, future the way we think. So, that was a great job. I hope, uh, like He said, maybe we can uh, use some of those uh, little uh, blessings when we, uh, you know, have our Lord suffer. And that will be a good reminder of of things we've learned. Alright? And then, uh, again, the Palm Sunday thing is next Sunday. And we'll try to get that organized with the kids. 
Uh, also, uh, we've got a few events coming up real quick when it comes to the Easter. Uh, bring your, uh, your friends, relatives, and loved ones, and your work partners and all. We want everybody to feel welcome to be a part of uh, this, whole, this whole event. Okay, now this is sat down, so it's like Jesus said, he must be finished. <laughs> so, any questions? Any questions? Any thoughts? You know, things you'd like to kind of add to? Because there's all kinds of stuff that, uh, you know, I got to thinking about. You know, the, the piece of cloth that you had, is that used in that platform uh, by the Jewish people that the three... Yeah, as a matter of fact, they have some real elaborate ones. Okay. You know, gold on the top and everything. And, but yeah, they have that three compartments. So I don't know how they did for um, the very first one, but you know, <laughs> I was using napkins here last week and we, we had our other one that needed to be cleaned up a little bit some years ago. But uh, I think it's something that's a chairman. As a matter of fact, uh, I'm, thankful, I'm thankful for Carolyn for putting all this yeah. stuff together. <laughs> Right. And so we'll get a few 